Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV and Resonate Recordings. All individuals described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matter such as violence and graphic descriptions, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. When a case force comes in, it's not a limited amount of leads. You have thousands. It's which ones do you go through first? When I come into it, every one of those avenues have been explored, have been investigated. So do you go back to the well or do you try to go somewhere no one's been? I like to think some of the angles I'm kind of creating will help solve this case, but I know someone contacting us, giving the information that matches things we already know, will solve this case. That's one angle that absolutely will solve the case. There's somebody out there that knows everything, that knows exactly what happened and knows why. I'm hoping you guys can get to them. No, this is the we get undercover cars. So mine is probably the best undercover car, a nice baby blue Hyundai Sonata. Did you pick it yourself? No. (laughs) No. It works. On a cloudless, sweltering day in June of 2022, I found myself once again riding in a police cruiser. This time in the front seat with AC, thankfully. The person you hear in the background is Sergeant Quinn Carlson with the Brown County Sheriff's Office. He's the lead detective on Brittany's case. He should sound familiar. You've heard him a few times now, at Brittany's vigil, to name one. But for the most part, what we've covered up to this point has been mainly void of the lead detective on Brittany's case. No reason in particular. Trust me, he's been a major part of the work we're doing, giving us more than enough of his time, certainly more than I expected. And he's been transparent, as much as he can be, that is. Which is refreshing. It's not often you hear an officer speak on the importance of podcasting and how he'd be foolish to not want to talk to us. You get that? Oh, look at how nice people are here. Yeah. See, like. (laughs) That flashing lights helps. LA, they would have run us over. No. (laughs) I know we just visited here with Deputy Enlow, the first responder from the night of the murder. But still, we felt it couldn't hurt to come again, this time with the lead detective. We're also going to do a sit-down interview with Carlson in his office back at the station. Really, we've just come here to visit the memorial, 
and talk a little bit about the case. It's really tranquil now. I was just say it's very peaceful out here right now. Mm-hmm. And it generally is, except that day. But it, it just has a very unique feel. Sergeant Carlson stands beside Brittany's memorial. Average height, stocky, short brown hair, about what you'd expect. He's got on a gray polo shirt and black slacks with his service weapon holstered to one side of his belt and a shiny gold badge on the other where his hand rests. He looks over and scans the highway and we each take a moment to do the same, exchanging comments about the steady flow of traffic and the steady flow of sweat rolling down our faces. We asked Sergeant Carlson to recap the events from the evening of August 28, 2013. Now on August 28th, I think between the time of 7.45 and 8.10, uh, she was found by a driver at around 8.10, and that's when the call came into 911. She was heading uh, back to her home from her mother-in-law's house in Bethel uh, with her daughter in the car driving. She had dinner for Shane. Uh, she was going to bring it to him. She headed southbound here on her way back home when right around this area, she was shot multiple times and her car veered off the road and ended up back here in 50 feet inside the tree line. Why that happened, we have absolutely no idea. Who was involved, we had no idea for, for years and it's still an ongoing investigation to this day. It's frustrating because in a town like Georgetown, like Ripley or in Brown County, these things just don't really happen. When you have homicides, the motivation is known almost immediately. And this one is just so different. It's been frustrating for going on nine years now. I said at the beginning of all this that with this case, it's not just a matter of finding out who is culpable, because we're also missing the why here, the motive. And that's frustrating, to say the least. If it is for us, I can only imagine how frustrating it is for someone in Sergeant Carlson's position. But that said, one thing we do know, to a degree, is how it happened. She was shot multiple times while inside of a Jeep on Highway 68. And sure, that information is helpful. But even looking at the how, we're left with questions. Namely, was she moving or was she at a standstill? But again, where the Jeep was found does say that she did have some speed going before it went down here. So you have to take that into consideration as well when it comes to trying to find out what happened on the road. But have you been able to determine whether it's a difference of rolling versus being at a stop and, and flooring it? There are reasons I believe one way to another. I can't prove one or another, but Knowing the way the mechanics of the Jeep, knowing the way Jeeps work, there are different possibilities of how it happened, but taking all things into account, we kind of have a general idea right now. I don't want to say anything because we don't know for sure. Um, right now, it's just trying to put the pieces together on exactly how it went down. Do you know if the Jeep was shot at at a standstill or while it was moving? I'll hold off on answering that for right now, Cause if that's okay. That, yeah, because obviously that makes a difference of whether or not she was pulled over. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. driving or pulled over and then sped away after. Right. 
I'm going to hold off on answering that. So I'm sorry about that. I You'll notice that Carlson is very careful with his words. This will be a recurring theme. But don't worry, not everything is like this. There's just certain elements of this case he feels comfortable talking about, and others he wants to keep within the department in order to protect and not hinder their investigation. And from the sounds of it, he's onto something that he simply cannot risk compromising. I really dove into just trying to recreate a lot and trying to, not recreate, but again, like I said, find and obtain some of the data that may have existed back then that they just weren't able to obtain that we can now. So that's helped out tremendously. And that's just new technology, new capabilities. Different federal agencies have really kind of opened the doors up on a bunch of different abilities we have now. Before we get any further into what Sergeant Carlson might be hinting at, let's talk about the current detective and how he got here, because it's probably not what you'd expect. Unlike many in law enforcement within Brown County, he's not originally from this community. He didn't grow up here. He didn't spend his summers raising livestock for the county fair, not even close. He moved from California, LA to be exact, earning him the nickname Hollywood among those at the sheriff's office. Actually, both my parents are actors. and that's, They met on General Hospital. My mom was Susan Moore. My dad was Dr. Gary Lansing. Susan Moore was Alan Quartermain's mistress. As in good soap opera terms, like she was his mistress, but she was the real mother of Jason Quartermain, the illegitimate son of that union. And I played Jason Quartermain. I was the first Jason Quartermain because my mom got pregnant in real life with me, so they had to write something into the show, so they wrote in Jason Quartermain. Ultimately, he chose not to follow in his parents' footsteps. Apart from General Hospital, he had just one other credited acting role. He played a small part in a little-known film from 1999 about a baseball player and his daughter. I'll leave out the title since he's not the one who told us about this. It was actually a little inside information from his superior, Captain Chad Noble. Have you seen that guy's arm? Yeah. He's got an arm, but uh, we can stay in there with a couple of dingers. Right, McGillan? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Though he was born and raised in California, he actually does have some familiarity with the state of Ohio. He graduated high school in Columbus and went on to attend The Ohio State University. Eventually, he returned home to attend the University of California, Santa Barbara. And from there, he traveled overseas and worked for a private security firm for a stint. Once that came to an end, a buddy of his, who had bought commercial property in Cincinnati, asked if he'd be interested in opening a nutrition shop, aptly named NutriShop, which Carlson accepted. He says he loved doing it at the time, but he couldn't shake the feeling that he was being called elsewhere. I've always been drawn to law enforcement, whether it's state, local, federal, something. It was just kind of kicking around, you know, the idea of that, but I didn't know if I'd ever be able to actually bring it into fruition. And at the store, I'd see the lights go and the, you know, the police chasing people down. You hear the sirens, and I'm just like, I, I got to do that. So I put myself through the uh, police academy. I sold my half the business and been here ever since and love it. And it is home. Like, I don't, I don't miss L.A. at all. I miss the ocean and the food. That part's fun. But generally, it's nothing like it is here. I don't know. It's just home. So there's nowhere else I'd rather live. Carlson's deep appreciation for his county and the people in it has kept him around for over a decade now. And of course, a lot of that ties directly into the work he does. As a detective, he says there's just something different about working and investigating in a place like Brown County. 
most people that are in the jail that are back there, they're not like bad people. They just do dumb things. They're there. They're doing their time. We had a decent rapport with them. We see them on the street. They're like, hey, what's up, man? You know, thanks for, you know, arresting me that day. And they make a joke about it. And it's really, I've never run into a problem with it. Not one time. It's a very odd dynamic, but it's, if you treat everybody with respect, you know, sometimes people just make mistakes and it usually doesn't come back to bite you. You hear stories, especially now in all over the country with all the negative aspects of it. I just don't see that here. We've got a, just a great rapport with the community, even with, you know, the people that are in and out of jail. It just kind of is what it is. It's a job. Okay. You, you messed up today. You're going to jail. You know, see you next week. As long as you just treat people with respect like we do, it's never been an issue. As a culpable listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. One thing I've learned working in true crime is that your best line of defense is vigilance and preparation, which is why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. I happen to live in a pretty nice neighborhood, but as you know, crime has a way of being anywhere at any time, even when you least expect it. When our car was broken into and items were stolen, I was so relieved to know that my home security system got the footage and it eventually led to us being reimbursed by the perpetrator once they were caught. Crime is just waiting to happen, so be prepared at all times and equip yourself with Simply Safe, the best home security system of 2024, according to U.S. News and World Report. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash culpable. That's simplysafe.com slash culpable. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast the passion that carlson brought to the brown county sheriff's office is pretty self-evident when you get to talking to the guy and hear the pride he takes in his office but it's also evident in the way he's moved up the ranks over the years He's come a long way from where he started, working in the jail. Now, as a sergeant, his role has changed drastically, 
and not to mention, he's the supervisor of the division. So not only is he leading investigations, he's leading fellow detectives. I've got detectives that work property crimes. I have one that is now focusing on sex crimes. We'll all do homicide. I think we're all now currently all homicide trained. We work together on most big crimes. If anything like this were to happen, every one of us is going to be on scene. I would probably take lead on something like this, but we're all working as a team. But any one of us, if I'm not there, any one of us can take lead. I'm not working as big a caseload as them, so that's why I'm able to devote this much time to these cases, which I really like. It's an amazing feeling when you bring justice to a family and you get someone off the street that needs to be off the street. That's an unbelievably validating and wonderful feeling. I want that feeling in this case. And I want to be able to bring that to the family and give them some closure and explain, no matter how bizarre the answer is, I want to be able to tell them what happened. Sergeant Carlson is confident that one day he will be able to tell Dave and Mary just that. But he's already learned it's not going to come easy. As soon as he took over the case, he, like other investigators before him, was inundated with theories and salacious rumors that he then had to sift through and either validate or, more often than not, debunk. One of the frustrations with this, but it's in a few of the cold cases that I've worked, is people want street credit and people will tell their friends or tell their drug dealers or something like, I was responsible for this. Like, if you don't do this, that's what's going to happen to you next to try to have people fear them. So they do what they do. In reality, they have absolutely nothing to do with the case. But their friends talk and say, oh, I know who did it. And then it finally comes back and someone tells us. And then we have to follow. We follow that lead up and it leads nowhere. And that's happened over and over and over with this case. But I mean, we could go all day with (laughs) with those avenues because the previous investigators did a really good job chasing down lead after lead after lead. Everybody wanted to solve this case. And they just put their heart and soul following everything just because you have to. It's that one person that calls that you don't follow that lead that could have solved it. And they did a good job at checking every one of those boxes. But which boxes have they checked? And more importantly, were they left with any persons of interest? This was something we hoped to clear up with Sergeant Carlson. There have been many names linked to this case over the years. We're curious if any of those are still being investigated today. Is Dusty Puckett still considered a suspect? Dusty was Brittany's ex-fiance. A lot of people at the beginning were ruled out simply because they just couldn't have been involved. And to my knowledge, he was one of them. Like I said from the beginning, no one's going to be officially ruled out until this is solved. But there are certain directions we are not looking I can say that. Is Shane Stites still considered a suspect? Every and everyone, he has been absolutely beyond cooperative with us from the beginning. And it's the same answer I'd have with Dusty Pocket. There are certain avenues we're not looking. There are certain avenues we are looking. No one is cleared until we've solved the case. Shane's alibi confirmed from the, the folks at the gym. You're talking about part of this way before me. Those are other investigators that would know a lot more. But when it was conferred to me, is like, yes, it was confirmed that that's where he was earlier. So based on that, it sounds like Shane isn't being looked at too heavily at this point. But frankly, it's hard to tell with these answers. Though he did stress that no one is truly cleared until the case is solved. Truth is, a lot has happened during the course of this investigation, the majority of which occurred long before Sergeant Carlson took over the boxes upon boxes of case files that now sit stacked inside his office. 
If you remember, one of the last real breaks in this case, at least that the public knows of, happened near the end of 2015, roughly five years before Sergeant Carlson took over the case. That was when Tommy Lopez was arrested on drug charges and then subsequently linked to Brittany's case via an informant claiming to be his girlfriend. We asked Carlson where he stands on Lopez and his potential involvement. You know, there's really no way to tell at this point I'd, because there's just so many different possibilities and we just don't know. For me, from an investigator's stance, the lack of evidence is evidence in itself. While he hasn't yet found the answers that he and everyone else is looking for, he does believe he'll get there. Their office has faced many challenges throughout what is now a nearly decade-old unsolved case. After all, we're talking about Brown County, Ohio here. It's rural. Cows, pigs, and cornfields rural. Not a metropolis with loads of resources. But times have changed. Now, in the present day, Sergeant Carlson has been able to find a larger network to assist in his investigation. And included in that is some new, promising technology that he believes could finally provide some answers. I had to reach out and get a lot of assistance from federal agencies, and they have been unbelievably helpful and unbelievably willing to help. The assets they've been able to provide are wonderful, and it's allowed us to take these steps, and it's allowed us to try new avenues that were never available before. He tells us it was the summer of 2020 when he was first brought onto the case, and from the beginning, he knew if he was going to take this case on, he'd want to try something new. We had some movement here in the office, and the, the previous detective who did a tremendous amount of work on this case, he is now Captain Chad Noble, he was moved to a different area, moved up. So then he pitched it to the chief and the sheriff that I was to uh, take over the case, and I then created a presentation on my idea because the whole thing is you're not just going to give the case away, you're going to give it to somebody that can take it somewhere it hasn't been, can do something that no one else has done with it yet. So that's what I had to come up with. I had to get very creative, and I spent a lot of time coming up with new angles and new approaches. And I pitched it, and they all liked the idea, so we're moving forward. His angle hinges on technology that he says wasn't available at the time when Brittany was killed. Now, according to him, it's not only available, it's become a viable resource for his investigation and he plans to use it to his full advantage to find the person responsible and ultimately bring them to justice. As far as how you get there, though, here's what he could say. I'm trying to recreate data and information that was there back in 2013. And that's difficult because a lot of things have gone away. However, one of the best things we have available to us is modern technology. And there have been a lot of advancements recently in technology, and I'm utilizing as many of those as I possibly can, and a couple of them are very exciting. So that is the main thing I'm doing right now. As he continues working this case day in and day out, he tells us he's already had some success with this new technique. While they may not have their person yet, they're definitely making progress. We've been able to narrow the direction of the investigation which was honestly my goal from the beginning. And when I took over, that's what I kind of wanted to do more than anything, create an avenue, create a direction that was accurate, that was based on all the evidence we possibly had at the time, and hopefully recreate some new evidence, maybe not recreate evidence, but find evidence that would have been available nine years ago, 
technology today has been able to tap into. And fortunately, we were able, I think I was able to do that in a couple different areas, which has enabled us to narrow the scope of the investigation. So I'm very excited about it. I have high hopes, but it's still, there's still a lot of work putting all the pieces together. I'm not calling the family yet. I'm not 100%. I don't, you know, it's still all coming together. So I'm very hesitant to get happy (laughs) just because of how many twists and turns this case has taken. So I'm just seeing, I want to see this thing through the end and keep going on where I'm going right now. And I'm praying we're going to get there. There's a direction right now. There's a, there's a specific direction. I'm I'm not going to necessarily say there's a person or I'm not going to say like why, but I can say there is a distinct direction. The case is taken right now. And I feel very positive in that direction. How soon do you think you're going to know something that you'll oh. be able to have us come back in and <laughs> set back up? Oh, I'd love it to be tomorrow, but I have no idea. No idea. I have absolutely no idea. He tells us it's impossible to put a time on something like this, and that relates to other types of cases he works too, such as sex crimes. In big cases like these, if the sheriff's office wants to obtain, let's say, phone records, all they can do is submit the proper search warrants. They're at the mercy of the companies that actually go and obtain the information they're searching for. It's a process. Whenever they decide to answer your search warrant, it's sending you back all the data. And then once you get it, you have to interpret that data. And sometimes, I'm not going to say a company, but one we send search warrants to a lot, sometimes we'll get it back, it'll be 70, 80,000 pages. That takes a minute. (laughs) <laughs> to go through 80,000 pages of information looking for maybe a few sentences or looking for a connection between a couple people. And, you know, we've sent out, I couldn't give you an accurate number on how many search warrants, how many subpoenas, how many things are being sent out. And compiling that data takes forever. These aren't quick. And when they say it takes so long or it gets frustrated, I get why people are frustrated that things take so long. But it is, there's just no way to speed it up without a sea of analysts, which we just don't have. And most departments don't have. In cases like this, it takes a village. The Brown County Sheriff's Office may not have the needed resources internally, at least on the tech side, and specifically what's being used in this case. But again, they are fortunate to have received so much outside assistance, even from federal agencies. It's made a huge difference. I can tell in the last year, we have made a lot of progress. How confident are you that you're finally going to be the one (laughs) that gets to make that phone call to Mary and David? I feel confident that I will be the one to be able to make that call. I think there'll be a lot of people in the room because this has been a department focus for so many years. So it's not just going to be me. It's going to be, it'll be a nice day and that room will be filled with people to talk to them. Everyone's going to want to be there on our end because this is, I mean, this has been such a main driving case in this department for so many years. This investigation has never lacked purpose. But Carlson has now given this investigation a new sense of direction and as a result has provided some much needed hope. But he'll be the first to admit that arguably the biggest obstacle in this case is motive. And there's many reasons for that. We've talked about how this is such a baffling case as to the why. Right. We know the how. Maybe you know the who. But 
the why? Is there a motive here yet? Do you know of? I mean, and that's another thing it? about this. It does not seem to be. But what's the motive? You know, why are you shoot a pregnant mother with her daughter on the way to see her dad for his birthday? And then you look into the background and see what a fantastic mother she was and how a loving family. It just, it again, does not make sense. Motive usually helps direct an investigation. We don't have motive. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to direct it towards motive when there isn't, there is seemingly isn't one. Obviously there is. There's a reason. It's just, we just got to find it. Sergeant Carlson says that motive is the backbone of any case. Without it, you wouldn't have the crime to begin with. And does he know the motive? No, at least not for certain. But what he can tell us, in true detective form, is this. There are ideas and possibilities that we are exploring. You know, as frustrating as it is to watch someone methodically dance around your questions, I guess if there's ever a time to be understanding, it would be with something like this. He has an open investigation to protect. That's a good enough reason in itself. Which is why we've tried best to fight our instincts and be respectful of non-answers when Carlson deems them necessary. Again, he's welcomed us into the sheriff's office. The guy clearly wants nothing more than to solve this case and is working hard to do so. He clearly knows more than he's telling us, which of course irks people like us. But we're willing to accept it and hope that in due time we'll know more. If he doesn't want a hint at a motive, I get it. But that doesn't necessarily mean I accept it. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey.
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. If you remember, last episode we spoke with Wayne Wallace, a professor at the University of Cincinnati's Claremont campus. Wayne actually teaches criminal justice and forensic psychology for a living. So this is right up his alley. Like any expert, he prefers to work off physical evidence and what he knows, rather than what he thinks. But unlike Sergeant Carlson, who needs to play his cards safe as the lead detective on the case, Wayne, on the other hand, is more open to discussing the possibilities when it comes to motive. There's a heck of a motive going on here. This is uh, intensity, and there is a state of mind. Um, there's a very carefully constructed moment where a shooter could deliver five rounds on target on the roadway and not witnessed by somebody else. That's a hell of a motive, don't you think? It was directed expressive violence. It wasn't random. You know, it certainly wasn't somebody just shooting out of their car accidentally. Wayne describes the murder as being very carefully orchestrated. In other words, he doesn't see how this could be a product of road rage, at least not in the way that we tend to define that term. Obviously, it's road rage, but as far as someone just getting angry and reacting in a moment, he doesn't think that's the case here. You know, this happens on the freeways in California every day. People fire out of their window. They don't fire an entire magazine. You know, they fire once, and then they probably go, oops, I shouldn't have done that, you know. They don't fire five rounds in a two, two and a half foot circumference and happen to, you know, hit their target. That's expressive, it's intentional, and, and it's on the roadway, you know. They had to go to some effort to do this. So, yeah, this, this was um, punishment for some perceived wrong or offense that occurred. I really doubt this is just some passing incident of road rage. I get that it's emotional, but there's more here than just emotion. This is well, it's, it's awful. Who would shoot and kill a pregnant mother and her child? That's it's pretty cold. It's pretty violent. Wayne says that when you're analyzing a case like this, there are many ways to draw theories as to a motive and the type of person who would commit this type of crime. For example, something as simple as the bullet holes in the Jeep can tell quite a story. The close proximity of the shot grouping alone can indicate not only a personal element to the crime, as he just referenced, but it can also indicate the way the person went about it. You ever pull up next to a car and talk to him door to door? You know, you face in different directions. And might something like that have happened? Had somebody flagged her down and, and she had, you know, come to a stop on the country road? I mean, that happens, right? People 
need help, might a car have been pulled off the side of the road and flagged her down and, and she stopped and then they fire at her. Sure, that could have happened. Absolutely. And it would explain then why they got five rounds off in this small shock grouping. But then you'd have to say she took a bullet through both lungs and the heart and then put her foot on the gas because she did propel forward. And that's unlikely. I would venture to say it's more likely a skilled shooter than a lucky shooter. In regards to the shooter, another question that's always weighed on our minds is why Brittany would have been targeted. A question that was only made weightier by Shane's comments that he thinks the murderer was sending a message to him. We're thinking about this as a intentional homicide and it just doesn't make sense with this young girl. It doesn't seem like she was wrapped up in, in things that were questionable. But the people that are in her orbit might have been, and she might have been caught up in that. And that's where I think, investigatively, they're going to make progress, is to investigate the backgrounds of the relevant people. I, you have to investigate things to their logical conclusions. And just because the husband was at the gym doesn't mean he's not involved. It just means he was at the gym. Right? So we have to be careful to not misunderstand what an alibi means, what alibi evidence means. What we have to conclude is whether he was involved or not. And these comments that I see here in this report, there are two comments in here. One of them says that his response was appropriate. I would ask the detective what an appropriate response is. I've made many death notifications. And one thing I've learned for sure is you should never characterize somebody's receipt of that information. Wayne tells us this is the type of honest mistake that you often see made in law enforcement, and specifically in investigations. You have to be careful of your words. Sometimes an innocent attempt to add context around something, or give what you believe to be helpful information, can come back to bite you. And you can find yourself having to eat those words once you're in a courtroom. You have to be mindful of how your actions can impact a case. I think it's a tactical error to eliminate him as a suspect based upon what is basically conjecture. If you have an alibi, it just means you have an alibi. It doesn't mean you're not connected. I've convicted people of murder before who had alibis and were seen elsewhere. It was by design. Sometimes alibis are exactly that. They're, you know, by design. Only in Hollywood are they innocent. When they do this, it means they have gone out and laid out a days-long pattern so that they can be observed, and then they have somebody else do the deed for them, right? That doesn't mean they're not involved, and this expressive, intentional violence indicates that there's a personal aspect of this that necessitates the background of all parties involved, a full picture of the background, warts and all. You know, if there was some private life of my wife or her family, or I wouldn't know anything about any of that. You know, I don't know that. I don't think that my wife was doing anything wrong or bad. I, I don't. I, I have no suspicions of any foul play in that area, you know. I'm not going to claim that I am right on my scenario, okay? God forgive me if I am wrong. But... Unfortunately for this person, it's the only thing I could think of, at least involving my life. 
I wasn't doing anything bad, so I don't feel guilty about that. I was doing something good. There was a lot of crime, and I wanted to do something about that. So I did what I thought I needed to do, and I think that got under someone's skin. I wasn't narking people out or running my mouth about people, nothing like that. I was literally just looking for a new career, and uh, when this happens. Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13. Written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper, and produced by Jessica Knoll. Executive producers are myself, Mark Minnery, Jacob Bozarth, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Our senior producer is John Street. Additional production by Todd McComas. Editing, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Dayton Cole, Pat Kicklighter, Adam Townsell, and Caleb Melcher of the Resonate Recordings team. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at ResonateRecordings.com. Our theme song and original score is by Dirt Poor Robbins, with additional scoring by Dayton Cole. Additional score of this episode by Lovers and Mad Men. Our cover art is by Drew Bardana. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcasts, Show notes, as well as bonus content, can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you have any information about the murder of Brittany Stikes, we urge you to contact the Brown County Sheriff's Office by visiting their website, browncountyohiosheriff.us, where you can anonymously submit your information. Or you can contact Sergeant Quinn Carlson directly at 937-378-4435, extension 126, or by email at quincarlson at bcoso.com. You can also submit your information through our website, culpablepodcast.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>